Matt Gates insulted our next guest, and she made two million bucks off of it. Wait, what? Okay, well, let's talk about it. Olivia Juliana is a political strategy specialist, and she's at Gen Z for change. And she did really do that, by the way, but not for herself. We'll explain. Olivia, great to have you here. Thanks for having me. Uh, no problem. All right, so look, you've done a lot of amazing things in Texas politics. You also trolled the living crap out of Greg Abbott, which we thoroughly enjoyed. And I want to ask what this Gen Z for change is because it sounds pretty good. Okay, but first, uh, let's start with what was Matt Gates's insult of you, and how did it come about? Yeah, he he went on this very just sexist, fat phobic rant at a Turning Point Action Summit. And I didn't like that very much. And so I made that very clear on social media. I believe the description he used was that all abortion rights activists were 5'3", 300 something pounds. And I responded and said, actually, I'm 5'11", 6'4", in heels. I wear them to remind small men of you, of your place. Um, And he didn't like that. So he decided an appropriate response would be to tweet out my photograph to his 1.4 million followers, uh, alluding to an article that talked about how this would raise the dander of his political opponents, uh, his speech at the Turning Point Action Summit. So he says dander raised and that's why you're responding to him. Uh, And he's putting in the picture there to try to get his idiot followers to attack you. Very classy by a US Congressman, of course. So now talk to me about the jujitsu move you pulled on him to get the two million bucks. I had a lot of eyes on me after you know he decided that he was gonna target me individually. So I decided that I was gonna do what I always do, which is put my activism work first. And so I publicly said because he body shamed me, I would be fundraising for abortion funds in his honor, and it very quickly took off. From there, I think within two days we raised hundred thousand dollars, and then from there it shot up to two point two million within a span of five days. Wow! So where'd that money go? That money was split amongst fifty different abortion funds across the country, and it'll be used for access to abortion services, traveling funds, or for getting people access to reproductive health care services they might need that they might not be able to afford themselves. That's amazing. Okay, I got a lot more questions about that and how you guys make this happen and how it goes viral. But speaking of viral, we have a short TikTok video of yours, or at least a portion of one, to show folks. Let's watch. I know this Beavis and Butthead ass Republican politician did not just come for me on Twitter. Oh, but guess what, Maddie? Guess what, Maddie? I'm not the one. You want to rumble? We can rumble, bitch. <laughs> Olivia, I read that you watched wrestling growing up. So did I. And so that's why I love your rumbling attitude. We do that at TYT all the time. You're going to punch me? No, I'm going to punch you back so hard, it's going to leave a goddamn mark. And so now, but now you work with Democrats in Texas, and that is usually not their style. I mean, we today on the Young Turks, we did a story about how Mark Kelly, the Republican, I'm sorry, how's that for a Freudian slip? The so called Democratic senator from Arizona, when asked, hey, you're running against some radicals, he himself is running against a guy who doesn't believe in democracy. And he just went there and said, no, I love my Republican colleagues, I think they're wonderful, etc. They're so goddamn soft. 
So number one, do you get frustrated by that? And two, how do you interact with them and make it productive? I think that I know a lot of the statewide candidates and Democratic candidates here in Texas themselves. And I think that they're kind of starting to understand you have to take this more assertive and dominant and fiery tone that we're not seeing from Democrats across the country. I mean, me specifically, I'm that's just who I am. And so I think we're kind of seeing the tides start to shift, especially here in Texas with the way that candidates are going about handling things. I mean, especially we've seen so much more passion from Beto O'Rourke, who's our candidate for governor. And I think that's started to become more and more common here in Texas. I can't speak for the rest of the country because I'm not seeing that same kind of spark. But I think here in Texas, we're starting to see it more and more. Yeah, and, and I think that what's happening, and you correct me if I'm wrong, is that um, I've seen these guys in the past. They don't have any fight in them, okay? So now all of a sudden they've they're fighting back a little bit more. Uh, and I've seen in the articles that they're communicating with you guys, not just with you, Olivia, although they that's very literal. And uh, and you were talking to Beto, he called you out in one of the speeches as a person who's doing it right, etc. You're talking to some of the other candidates, but I mean in general, Gen Z. And Gen Z doesn't have any tolerance for their weak sauce nonsense that Democrats peddle all the time. And I think that you guys are kind of showing them how to fight back. And then if you fight back, that you like the world doesn't collapse in on you. Because I think that they were incredibly scared that it was going to. Am I am I over extrapolating or do you think that there's a lot of truth to that? No, I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think that young voters in particular are kind of tired of this wishy-washy attitude we've seen from career politicians for a really long time. I've been working in politics for almost two years now. And when candidates ask me, how do I get to young voters? I say, tell the truth, be honest, be blunt. Because I'm personally, I'm just sick of the niceties and the pleasantries. I want you to tell me what your policy stances are and what you're gonna do to make the quality of life of the people in this state better. And if you can't do that, then you might not be the candidate for the job. And I think that's the sentiment that a lot of young people have. And I think that's why we're starting to see more young people get into these spaces. Because it's not just us who's tired of hearing these things. I think the general public is tired of hearing these things too. 100%, no, it's just wonderful that they're listening to you guys because you're going viral. And it's affecting their power, so that's why all of a sudden their ears have perked up. Um, but otherwise, they wouldn't be courageous if their life depended. I've covered Democrats for a quarter of a century. They're the, the biggest weaklings you'll ever see. Um, with the potential uh, exception of Lindsey Graham, Ted Cruz, and all the betas on the Republican side. Um, so now having said that, um, how do you do it, right? So you, you've gone supernova viral a couple of times. And so I'm sure the candidates come and ask you, my God, it was the same question I'm gonna ask, $2 million, Jesus, and Lord mercy, how'd you do that? I wish I could tell you, I mean, you just gotta have thick skin and you gotta be willing to roll your sleeves up and fight for what you believe in. I think that that's, and that's why people cared so much is because I think Matt Gates picked me because of my identities. You know, I'm a Mexican, queer, disabled woman living in Texas of all places. He thought that I would just kind of sit back and take that kind of abuse. And I think that's the way that a lot of Republicans see young people this day and age. But the reality is we're not fragile and I'm not fragile. So if you're gonna pick anyone, I think I was definitely the wrong one to pick on because I'll play these games. I was raised, born and raised in rural Texas. So I think they could have picked someone a little softer to go after.
like maybe Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer or Joe Biden. Um, okay, so Olivia, I love your attitude. Yes, yes, double down on it. Make sure Democrats are listening because you're the only hope. You and, and the next generation is the only hope for Democrats to actually listen. Because when old school guys like us say it, they're like, oh, economic populism. Telling people that you'll fight for them and for higher wages and healthcare for everyone. Don't be ridiculous. We have to tell people how similar we are to Republicans. You have no idea how frustrating 25 years of that incompetence is. So you're this ray of sunshine that I've been waiting for for a long, long time. Um, all right, so speaking of which, um, now there is gonna, rubber is gonna hit the road, right? Uh, because a lot of corporate Democrats don't want to actually do anything. It's smoke and mirrors. So, um, is that how, do, how does Gen Z for change know that these guys are going to deliver given a 40 year track record of Democrats never delivering? I think the I think the general consensus that I've heard from a lot of young people is that voting isn't enough. It's not enough to vote for the candidates you like. You have to go out and organize in your communities with either on the ground organizations or nonprofits that are going to provide mutual aid for the people that need it the most. I think that Democrats have done good things in the last two years. I wish we could have done more. I wish we had people who were willing to do more. But I think that right now we're in such a pivotal point, especially in states here like Texas, that we just got to focus on getting local candidates elected who want to make our day to day lives better. And then we can focus on going from there. Cause I think that that's something that a lot of young people are talking about that older Democrats might not be aware of. Yeah. And the um, younger the candidate is, usually the better. It's not a blanket rule, but it's a pretty good rule of thumb. And the more progressive the candidate, of course, is is better. But young people tend to be way more progressive and willing to fight back against the right wing. And as you can tell, those are issues I've got with the Democratic Party. So Olivia, for folks who don't know, what is Gen Z for Change? Gen Z for Change is a coalition of content creators and activists and organizers from across the country who our main goal is to promote civic engagement amongst young people, but also fight for progressive change for the causes we believe in. We've done a lot of great things in the last few years. We've taken down tip lines. We've fought back against union union busting Starbucks corporations. There's a lot of different projects we've done to help people, not just in politics, but also within the labor movement and the abortion rights movement as well. Is there anything that people can do to help? You can visit our website and you can find ways to get involved at genzforchange.org. You can also follow us on social media pages at Gen Z for Change. We constantly have calls to action for people in our community and coalition. And we have a lot of ways that you can get involved and help coming into these midterm elections. Okay, Olivia, I'll ask you the same question I ask politicians these days. Now, if you help Democrats get elected and they don't do what they promised, which is, you could write that one down in stone. Uh, are you then going to push back uh, and say this is not what we argued for? This is not what we fought for, and or you know, and the reason I ask it is kind of an obnoxious question because, but but the reason I ask it is because no one ever does follow up, uh, to be honest. But you're a new generation. Yeah, I think that. I think there's a there's a big conversation about holding politicians accountable. That's more common amongst young people. I mean, me myself. 
there's Democrats in office right now who I've publicly talked about. You know, I wish we could do more to address the student debt crisis. I wish we could do more to address the immigration crisis that's going on in this country. Uh, I specifically called out certain politicians in the past for that, including President Biden. Uh, and I will continue to do that through my career because it's not about what's left or what's right in terms of political parties. It's about what's right for the American people. And I think that that's the general consensus amongst young people is we're gonna keep calling people out and hoping that we can do right by the people in this country, not by the politicians. All right, last quick question. Uh, was Nancy Pelosi definitely wrong for backing Henry Cuellar in Texas? I think that Nancy Pelosi has her reasons for doing what she does. I'm not privy to all of them, but I think that going into this midterm election, we need to focus on making sure that we can elect candidates in these state legislators that'll be able to pass laws in these state legislators if we can't do that in our national Congress this November. Okay, don't listen to their pretty little lies. Nancy Pelosi was definitely wrong. She backed an anti-choice pro-gun, a corrupt conservative Democrat. Uh, it's not going to help anybody. All right, that's my sense of it. But I love the fight back you got, Olivia. I love it. Keep it going. Everybody, check out GenCForChange.org. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. Who's Q, and does he still have a huge effect in the Republican Party? Let's find out. Let's go on a search for Q. Uh, joining me now is uh, Bayan Junum. Uh, he is creator and host of Search for Q on Vice TV. And Marley Clements, same thing, creator host, Search for Q on Vice TV. They're searching together. Uh, great to have you guys here. Uh, Marley, let me start with you. Uh, did you find him? Oh, we found him. He out there. Uh, yeah, no. So this season, we really, last season, we focused on the who, what, and why behind QAnon. And this season, we focused on sort of what has risen out of the ashes of Q. So uh, lots happening out there and we're seeing this rise of Christian nationalism and radicalization across America, militias, things like that. And so we really looked into where Q has gone and where the 30 million people who, 30 million Americans who consider themselves followers of Q have gone. Yeah, so first of all, uh, Bayan, is it is it that random dude who um, runs a, or ran a chan or whatever and ran for Senate in Arizona and got clobbered? <laughs> Ron Watkins, I think, is who you're referring to. And I think, you know, for large part, there's a lot of people who really do believe that Ron Watkins was behind the whole thing. He certainly had access to the account, you know, in the same way that Mark Zuckerberg has access to everybody's account on Facebook. But I think when you really ask yourself, do you really think that this internet troll from around the world was in charge of a multi-year radicalization campaign, which was able to inspire thousands of Americans to distrust the government enough to storm the Capitol. I think there are some more likely characters who have been in the background this whole time that we're investigating in this show. All right, give me two, three names here, let's have fun. Sure, let's have some fun. Um, one of those names I think is someone who's been around for a long time, which is General Mike Flynn. Uh, what is his role in the origination of QAnon? Uh, what has he done since the rise and subsequently since Q went dark for 18 months? These are the questions that we really launch this series off with wondering, well, what happened to these 30 million Anons, 30 million plus self-described Anons and who are the new leaders uh, some of them were recognizable names like Flynn, and some new leaders like uh, the My Pillow guy, Mike Lindell, and the Overstock CEO Patrick Byrne. All of which we speak to. 
And you know, if you ask uh, Mike Lindell, I'm Q. So it just shows you kind of like how warped the Republican Party has become when it comes to recognizing the radicalizing influence of Q within their own party. Yeah, that's a really interesting conversation about whether there was even any strategy behind it. Because I think there's such a well of distrust and fear and hatred in the right wing that all you had to do was put anything in the ground and you'd hit a gusher. That, that's my sense. But first, I want to show people a quick trailer of, of this season. And this is on Vice TV. And I want to come back and talk about not just what happened to Q himself, but what happened to those 30 million Q adherents, because I think it's way more important. So let's watch. QAnon. You think Q will ever come back? Q isn't over. The main name is Mike Flynn. I actually think he's an enemy to this country. Do you believe the violence on January 6th was justified morally? Take the fifth. The conspiracy grows. Not a vaccine, it's a bioweapon. The real search for answers. I think America's heading towards a civil war. I was in the Noble Office meeting, I know the whole story. It's just beginning. QAnon, the search for Q. New season premieres Wednesday, August 24th at 10. A four-part investigative event on Vice. Marley, I'm gonna ask you a tough question of a journalist, but are they mental? Uh, no, I think they're, uh, I mean, certainly some of them. Mike Lindell, I'd go with mental, uh, but most of them are just sort of everyday Americans who have been radicalized through disinformation and data voids that have been exploited on the internet. And a bunch of people who knew how to do that. I mean, to Bayon's point of uh, looking at Mike Flynn and versus Ron Watkins, Ron Watkins is just a guy who was only able to get like 2,500 people to vote for him in an Arizona primary, right? Mike Flynn actually has worked counterintelligence and knows how to play this game and how to bring people into a movement like this. And when you look at the Americans who have fallen into Q, I mean, it's it's really sad. I think that that is really the thing that stands out is that it is sad. They are not crazy people. They are people who are targeted and radicalized to become this. Okay, but so it's hard for me to not call them crazy because the things they believe are crazy. Yep. On the other hand, there's a lot of them. I mean, at least 45 million. I've seen polls putting it at 15% of the whole country. That's over 45 million. That is a lot of people to be crazy. So, Bayan, what is it about the what sounds like ludicrous conspiracy theories to the rest of us that appeals so much to that those 45 million people? Yeah, I mean, I think we're at a time where trust in institutions is at an all-time low. And when you have a conspiracy movement like QAnon that's really able to scratch the wound of those grievances. So not just towards our government, but our banking system, towards corporations, towards the man, you start to create this very visceral enemy. And I think there's a large swash of Americans who, by the way, are not totally partitioned to the far right that have that same worldview that carry with them this grievance um, that you know is exploited through these type of conspiratorial radicalization campaigns. Yeah, now, now we're getting at it. I mean, look, my longtime theory has been that uh, the, those folks in, in a lot of ways were the first to figure out that establishment politicians and establishment media were lying to them. Uh, and, and the corporate media can drive you out of your mind. They keep telling you things that aren't anywhere near true. Uh, as if they're the most true thing ever. Like when they say, no, politicians are having a debate. They're having a conversation and a dialogue about what bill they're gonna pass. No, they're getting bribed. We see it right in front of our eyes. 
So Manchin and Cinema went and collected checks from the National Restaurant Association after voting against minimum wage. They're obviously being bribed and no one on in the media will say it. So I get the original angst of not just the right wing, but some of the left wing that you're talking about. And and but when that angst came, which is super understandable, why did they go to conspiracy theories as the answer as opposed to a rational answer like duh, follow the money, it's obviously the bribes. You know, I mean, I think this is a great question and social media plays a huge part in that. I think that a lot of times, you know, we have this relationship with the mainstream media and I will say Jake like, you know, just like I think um, you had spoken to my good friend JT after our first season, uh, who was a Bernie supporter who ended up, you know, falling into QAnon and that's because at that stage it was gamified, right? Like it was able to create a reward mechanism that stayed ahead of the mainstream media, right? Without like really difficult, you know, predictions of, you know, QAnon believers being villainized. We saw how Q was able to grow this support of saying, hey, the mainstream media is going to call you crazy, watch. And then as that happened, this kind of like call and response between Anons and the media um, continued to escalate and I think radicalized people further. So I think mainstream media does need to look at how we are going to continue having a conversation about this topic in a way that doesn't radicalize people further. So um, either one of you, tell me more about that gamification because that's super interesting and I haven't heard much about that before. Uh, what do you mean by uh, call and response? What do you mean by gamifying? Yeah, sure. So uh, when QAnon was still posting on the boards properly, which stopped in 2020, December 2020, they were really focused on a lot of like Socratic method things. They would post questions that say, you know, what are really, really weird questions and you would have to Google those things. And so if you're Googling, for example, adrenochrome and George Soros, you're going to find yourself in the same place that in the only place that you can land in a place where they've already exploited this data hole and they're able to bring you to a website that they have populated with information that they specifically want you to understand, right? And so. Part of that process is that when they land in these places, you feel, you know, one of the main themes that QAnon says over and over again is do your own research. And the reason they do that is because you feel responsible for the information that you've acquired and you stand by it in a way that you cannot stand by it if you learned it through the mainstream media or if, you know, somebody told you whatever it is. You feel personally responsible for that information. The way that you know Biden and I stand by our work on this project, right? Uh, I think that it's the same thing. They give them that sense of ownership around it, and that is a gamified model of making them say, no matter what, I came up with this on my own. This is my own thought process, and I found it, and I won, and I feel super smart. And uh, that keeps people involved, and it keeps people deeper and deeper because they want to know more. They like that feeling. Guys, that's actually totally genius. That's the first time it's gotten me to believe that there might be some degree of intelligence behind this operation. So I think that you could have tripped over a conspiracy in the right wing and they would have believed it because they're so mad at the establishment and what they perceive to be the elites. But that that phenomenon you just described is really smart. So let me do a quick follow up on that. Um, is that why we got to random drugs like ivermectin? So ivermectin is about you know tapeworm or whatever, and and so did they pick it because it is random? 
and it wouldn't have shown up in any other search. And then, and hence is kind of a data hole that they could fill with their garbage and their conspiracy theories. Mm. That's a really interesting question because I don't, I don't think we know exactly where the ivermectin, you know, theory came from. But we do know that more broadly, you know, one of the elements that we discuss on the show is how Q2.0, as we call it is you know been able to morph into really three main conspiracy theories one of them being covid conspiracy which is everything around you know the bill gate nanobots uh, the vaccine is genocide and a weapon of mass destruction into stop the steal you know which is a coded term for basically uh, overturning the results of the 2020 election and then finally save our children which was you know, the rise and concern over human trafficking that we saw during the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and so all of these things together are kind of creating this hothouse effect of conspiracy theories where people, whether it's ivermectin or bleach, they come to these environments and believe what their leaders will tell them. Um, because I mean, there's a spiritual dimension to it as well that I think you know we didn't get a touch upon, but that's a big part of it. Is that it, your pastor is telling you that? That's a different level of authority than you know maybe the Fauci on TV. Yeah, no, I, we've talked about that in previous interviews. Yeah, I interviewed a, a decent number of folks who are QAnon adherents, and they come back to well, of course the Democrats are doing child sex trafficking, drinking the blood of uh, children because that's what Satan does. And so they've been taught their whole life, yeah, that's Satan 101. And and Republicans have been telling them for 50 years, the Democrats are the evil party that go after children and things like abortion. So that's why the ground is fertile, because I bring it back to established media. They never said, hey, those guys are lunatics. Nobody's drinking any kids' bloods. They never said it, they said, well, I can't tell. Republicans, Democrats, they're even, 50-50. So they were both too harsh and too easy on Republicans, so I think that was a huge part of it. Okay, guys, I gotta ask you one last thing. So who do they think is ultimately responsible? Because I don't believe that they think an immigrant that crossed the border without a dollar in his pocket is secretly putting microbots or whatever the hell it is in our pizza or our bodies or whatever crazy thing they're thinking of lately. So I'm afraid based on what conversations I've had with people that have talked to them that they when the cameras are off, they bring it back to the juice. Um, so, but I, I'm, I'm curious. I mean, you guys have spent time with them. What do you think? I think there's a lot of big baddies in QAnon, right? There's a lot of people that they can uh, stick to, and I think for for them, it's it's kind of different for each one of them, right? A lot of them, there is the big JQ people, big anti-Semitism component of it. But a lot of them, you know, maybe their bias is something else, and they they think it's people of color or Hillary Clinton. Big, really, Clinton's really up there, big way. Um, and I think that you know, it, it is it is individual to each one of them, the same way that their conspiracies are, and the same way that those conspiracy theories have localized, like we've seen in Dallas and places uh, where they believe JFK is coming back. Right? They these are unique to each one of them because they are doing their own research. Uh, and so, and so they are going to latch on to different theories for each. I'd say. So, is the anti-Semitic Semitic strain called JQ? I haven't heard that term exactly, but it's definitely something that we explore in our series and in the way that you know, especially from the pulpit, 
these messages are delivered to the audience. I think it's very interesting to see these events that we, Marley and I have been going to where no mainstream media is there. In fact, no media outside of the far right wing were at the events that we were covering. And that's what really makes it eye opening because this was the heart of what drove you know, mothers and parents to school boards by the dozens to disrupt them over the summer ahead of Glenn Youngkin's win. These are the folks who you know, literally we hear from the pulpit, the pastors encouraging their participants at, this, at these events to go overturn you know, their city council meeting. So this is at the heart of what we end up seeing on the mainstream news weeks after and similar to before January 6th. You know, it's we we're not really recognizing where this influence is coming from, and that's what our show gets to the bottom of. Oh, I'd add that I think that the biggest baddie for them always is whoever's in their way at the moment. So I think we'll see a lot of Merrick Garland is the absolute the king of the pedophiles or whatever coming forward, um, and that's just because he's going after Donald Trump. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, oh well, God help us all. Uh, ironic. Because it's apparently the pastors that are starting the problem, which means, by the way, it's less likely to get solved because the Democrats calling out pastors has approximately a zero percent chance of happening. Um, all right, um, Bayan Judum, Marley Clements, guys, it's called Search for Q. It's on Vice TV. It starts on August twenty fourth. Uh, definitely check it out. This is the second season, and it says you can tell super interesting. Thank you guys for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Jake.